point, yeah. All right. Me too. Um, twinsies. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was married to someone who was raised in the church and extremely knowledgeable about theology. And um, he was very manipulative. So manipulative that I had to tell myself as I got a divorce that, sorry, Lord, I'm going to hell and yeah. I'm okay with it. And because there's tons of manipulation, um, like spiritual abuse, I guess, to the point where I was an anti-theist for 10 years. Uh, let's give it spiritual abuse. Mm -hmm. So were you told that you aren't good enough? Because yeah, that the people that I loved, hard yeah, the people that I loved were going to burn in hell. Ooh, um, because they hadn't accepted Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. Right. And just like most abusers, they try to isolate you to gain control. Oh. So it's kind of like, don't walk into th in the world, you know, kind of. There's parts of the Bible he could pick and choose from. How long were you married for? Four years, seven months. Wow. Two days. <laughs> <laughs> you got it down, girl. <laughs> I was married, too, for a while. Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> but special. But um, do, do you see any positive affects from that time that you spent deep in religion? No. I mean, not. I I feel like it was a part of my journey, mm -hmm. and it um, was important to see how the other half lived. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Get to be deep in a. Were you like uh, what was the particular sect of Christianity that you Oh, Calvary to. Chapel, so it was a fundamental oh. Christian. And it was a big church. Uh, it started out small. Um, the pastor was a biker at one point, and it was a small little church when I joined, but right when I joined, like I would say three months later, they uh, had a huge change, and it was just a massive church all of a sudden. Huh. So yeah. Because I've heard of Calvary, I think. Oh yeah, they're everywhere. So it's like a it's like the strip mall of <laughs> Jesus. It strip certainly looks like it from the outside, sure. But, I mean, um, it's like any church. You're going to find a lot of good. And I mean, I don't really believe in good and bad people. I believe in the concept of good and evil, but I try not to say, oh, that person's good, that person's bad. But there are, I mean, criminal minds, you know, can be found at church. Absolutely. Every church. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess if you look at, cross-section of all people there that cross-section is still going to exist in whatever group that you subscribe to and they might be reformed you know we don't know but yeah for 10 years following i was divorced in 2007 and 10 Me years too. What? yeah july uh june oh yeah no oh. uh end of was actually the i left them at the very end of may because our Right, actually, right before our seventh year wedding anniversary is where I, when I jumped ship. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't Christian though. He was just um, person. A person. <laughs> but we both were raised really religiously, so. Yeah. It was hard to think of divorce because I was like, my parents are still married, and his parents were married forever till his father died. So, like having those patterns in front of us and then not being able to sort of follow through on them, I felt a large. There was a large guilt there for a while. And it wasn't that, and people are like, la later after, they were like, he's like, you, he <laughs> accused me through other people of cheating on him. I was like, I never cheated on you. I never did that. I wasn't my thing. Like, I, I disappear before I'm going to do that. 
you know? Because right. I don't want to feel that sort of guilty thing. Although, there's a weird thing in the Bible where it says if you've lusted in your heart, then you've already done it, which I feel like is a really fun way to let Christians cheat. Because if you've already lusted in your heart and you've already committed the sin, then you might as well do the act. Well, you might as well. You might as well because you, you're already, gonna, you already you're sinned <laughs> against God. You're going to ask for forgiveness anyway. So you might as well just do the whole deed. Right. Why just lust in your heart? Why not just really lust? Well, it's really interesting. It's like someone was telling me about Carl Jung's, Jung's uh, philosophy of the shadow self. And um, because I haven't read much of him, I, I don't want to muck it up. But what I will say is what I took from, the com from this really great conversation is that a lot of people were raised with these values. And when, when in our adult life, whether under the influence or not, we make decisions we would call mistakes. Um, under the influence of what? Anything. Drugs. Oh, okay. I was going to say like Jesus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Drugs, alcohol, Jesus. Jesus. Uh, you know, um, no, not Jesus, but really those decisions you make that you regret in the morning. Right. Oh, I hooked up with so-and-so. I regret that. I was drunk. Or, hey, um, you know, I am shouting out my abortion. Not, like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I said a not joke. Okay. <laughs> what I will say is, like, what if people just entertain the idea that some of these decisions you might just forgive yourself and actually would have made and it's not necessarily a bad thing it's kind of like having like a whole like a more rounded approach to who you are instead of trying so hard to maintain like you're a wholly good person right right um, just give yourself that space to explore uh, other decisions that aren't um, as conventional and approved through our society. Well, and back to abortion. Like, every abortion I've had, I consider a good thing. <laughs> if I had, so, if I had a 20, let's see, I had an abortion in 1995. So, uh, I would have a 24-year-old child right now. Mm -hmm. If I would have had that baby, I would have a 24-year-old. Okay, no, that's a problem. And there was, I would, if I hadn't, if I hadn't had my second abortion, I would have a, a six-year-old right now. And I don't think that would be good either. I don't think <laughs> that I would, I don't think that I've been in a place to be an effective and non-evil mom. I don't so think anyone is, no. <laughs> <laughs> you but know. like when people, when people who are from a really religious background say, oh, you've had an abortion, you're, that's evil, you're a sinner. It's like, not really, because in, from my perspective, if I would have gone through with those pregnancies, that would have been more of an evil act. Right. And, 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 and that's your total uh, right to decide that. And, but it's a process probably, very internal, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so back in those days, not everyone was shouting out their abortions, which I actually think is really great and empowering and important, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think there's this idea that people have to make good decisions all the time and just disavow any decision that might seem bad or mm. different and um you know it's worth considering that there's a part of yourself that's the shadow self or whatever i could be getting this all wrong but in the context of this conversation that i had had um it, it was okay to entertain ideas um, and decisions that 
are a part of you that might not be the best. Like I'm an asshole sometimes. Yeah, you I, know I'm what I mean. Sometimes, yeah. So yeah, like people I, don't I believe realized, it, but I realized that I stopped drinking for a good amount of time, and it was so strange because I expected to have all of these sort of different choices and feelings in front of me, and like I, I didn't. I'm the same person. And I still do and say stupid, embarrassing <laughs> things. Just now I remember it. Like, I remember <laughs> all of it. So I'm having to take more responsibility for my choices as opposed to what I was doing in the past, which was like, well, if I don't remember it, it didn't really happen, did it? Right. Because I don't remember. So I wouldn't necessarily feel guilt or shame over choices because I didn't remember them anyway. Yeah. And then I'd sort of write it off like, oh, whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I was drunk. <laughs> but... I learned in my sobriety that even when I, those choices have affected me in other ways because other people are seeing those choices and they remember them. Right. <laughs> and so they I mean, that's certainly like part of identity is like how other people see us. Yeah. But I also think it's super important to forgive yourself and really not give a shit. Right. Yeah, most times. And alcohol makes me not give a shit. But now I'm, I'm really trying to, to back off the booze because having a little sobriety I, I realized wow I feel so much better like yeah like my whole body is happy well, that's great yeah but I and I miss it I drank a little bit this week because I allowed myself to and honestly it, it wasn't as fun as I remember it Aww. so I don't know I don't know you're I don't doing know. it wrong no I'm doing it wrong I'm a negative influence no 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 I know <laughs> we'll we'll see it's just that I mean, I'll see when I decide, if I decide to really, to, to go for it. But it'll have to be on a night where there's no comedy and I'm just drinking to drink and not. But then I'm like, well, why do I want to do that? Why do I need to feel that feeling of, like, I'm disappearing? Like, wh like what's behind that? Right. So. Well, I mean, it's also important to, like, discover yourself, right? Mm. And so I think um, I was seven years sober. Wow. Um, no sex, no dating, sober. Wow. Yeah. I was thinking about going celibate right now, actually. Sweet. I was thinking about doing mm. that for a while. Just because. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. No, well, I just, it's a thing where. It's like a cleanse. I, yeah, I don't. <laughs> exactly. It's like a cleanse. And I don't feel like I, I don't want to feel the need of feeling like I have to be with someone else in order to be complete. Absolutely. As oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So wholeheartedly, because I think that, um, especially, I'm still trying to find my way on that because I just feel like I can genuinely love people better outside of relationships, I and agree it's with more that important to me. I think the hardest thing for me to, um, especially around Valentine's Day this year, uh, come to terms with is, well, I love all these people, and one day they're gonna like meet someone. And then do this whole traditional bye off into the sunset, right? Where they're not really happy, no. <laughs> 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 you know. Um, but you know, it's it's not every uh, relationship that involves sex is are the important ones. Sure. In fact, it's quite the opposite for me. So that was that. Those seven years were super important because I was able to look back at them. And I was really able to have, like, an anchoring point in my life. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and it's good. I mean, it's one of those things, too, where when you're in a relationship, and especially as a woman, people always bring up the Bechdel test. Like, can you? So when I when I was married or when I, I, we've, I've, I've, I've been in a re- another relationship for seven years and we're, we're working, kind of we're seeing what's going on right now. But we're working, you know, we're, I don't know what we're doing. Yeah. doesn't matter. But uh, it does, but it doesn't. But whenever anybody comes up to me, it's usually like the second sentence out of their mouth. How's your boyfriend? Or it used to be, how's your husband? Like, so it isn't about, so like every relationship that I've had, I've sort of been identified through that relationship. Like, that's a, it becomes a huge part of my identity is that relationship. And other people view me as that relationship rather than as myself. And it can be so powerful and overwhelming. And what I feel is like at first, um, you know, let's say you're having a huge period of um, being in a single pen and you are a free spirit and that's why people fall for you but then they really can't help but put you into a box just by nature of relationships in general yeah. like, isn't this why you loved me in the first place right 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 <laughs> that happened with you my really ex-husband yeah. i was a very free spirit and we were together for a long time and then he started like hating all the things i did like he'd be like why do you go out and sing karaoke all the time? And I was like, because I need stage time. Like, I need I just to need be the center of attention. Hello? The yeah. mic in my hand. Yes. Yeah. Get your fix. Exactly. And that was before I did comedy. So my ex-husband would not have liked me doing comedy at all. He would have, if he didn't like me singing karaoke, he certainly wasn't going to like the comedy. So I kind of got out of that at the point where, actually, when I started imagining him dying, like, I was <laughs> having fantasies about him dying Aww. like going off of and i was like oh this would make my life so much easier if he just wasn't around anymore and then when i started having those thoughts i was like i need to leave this guy and it's i time. can do that <laughs> like and it just needed to happen and he looked back and now he's married again and has two beautiful children and i was never going to have kids for him and it's he says that me leaving him was the best thing that ever happened for both of us and i a hundred percent believe that and at the time it probably didn't feel no, like that at, at all at the time it was really hard for both of us and yeah. it was hard for me because I, I left um, a lot of money I left the house that we owned and I left a lot he was a wealthy man and I, I was like you know what and that was the thing that made me stay in the relationship probably the extra year is I was like I can't live without him I can't afford to live without him and then I was like once you imagine your partner dying it's time to get out of the relationship it might be overdue yeah yeah I mean uh, that's the thing about being comfortable I have these theories about being comfortable on occasion i imagine or i I like to think that one day i'll be able to fantasize about having my own home and owning a couple of cats yay cats um yay cats um but i really believe like the greatest growth you can give yourself is when you're in the midst of change whoa when you embrace that chaos and you can breathe through it and then welcome it um I'm balls deep in the abyss. It feels fine. Yeah. Well, there's, um, it's, uh, I used to read a lot of tarot cards and there are some, whenever the devil comes up or whenever death comes up or whenever the tower comes up, they seem very scary because the tower is like, everything's falling apart and you're falling off this tower and everything's breaking. But that means that change, change. Yeah. And the same thing with death. Death doesn't mean death. It means 
death of something and change and growth yeah. and a birth. And so it isn't necessarily terrible. I think the worst card in the tarot deck is the hanged man w- when he's upside down because you're in a place of powerlessness hmm. where you're not feeling like you have options to change because you're, you're in this hanging position where you're sort of stuck and not able to in get down. Make yeah, in a rut, exactly. What about uh, Nine of Swords? I remember that one being kind of rough. Well, although nine, because um, nine is, the, is almost the end of a journey, so 10 would be the completion of a large journey, whereas nine is like almost there. But then swords are also um, like an air, a fire sign. So it's about like, uh, what is, I'm trying to remember. Tell me, what what do you think about Nine of Swords? I remember that I owned um, uh, some tarot cards. I did some reading for party favor, like like a party favor. Mm -hmm. But um, to be honest, I kind of got good at it, and occasionally I'd kind of spook myself. Ooh. Ooh. So I'm not terribly um, suspicious, but I just know that the artistry on the tarot cards were beautiful yes and when the nine of swords came up it was always seemingly something um scary or negative and the visual were just these nine swords sticking into a dead body Ooh. <laughs> really well that's yeah. about i think that it's about self-sacrifice to get to the end of your journey because 10 is means that you've brought something to fruition and especially if it's from a place of passion which are swords uh, because it represents fire Fear and anxiety. Mm. So yeah. You have a lot of fear and anxiety? Um, no. Good. I used to, and I try not to make decisions out of fear. Oh, that's pathetic. Not making decisions out of fear. I gotta kind of put that in my brain. Well, <coughs> I went through a lot, so I, I do have post-traumatic stress oh. uh, disorder. Actually, it's CPT, <laughs> CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic stress. Um, if you would have met me before I did comedy, I would um, have been riddled with a lot of symptoms, hmm. and I would have had tremendous social anxiety. Um, uh, working was a huge coping mechanism for me, and so I just was doing the Bay Area uh, two jobs and just coming home, and that was it. Yeah, just work, 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 because yeah. you throw yourself into something, and then you don't necessarily have to think about yourself if you're focusing on like external right projects like a job jobs but um comedy has really helped me recover my life and minimize my uh, symptoms without um and i've i've done some therapy and a lot of research and about the origin of where i've gotten my ptsd and stuff um but it was really when i decided that i was going to chase my happiness uh you know and it was really a desperate, depressive time when I started comedy, um, but then it became like this beautiful, beautiful thing that it was just every time I get on the mic, I felt like that was like a, a visual cue for me for my life being reclaimed. All right. And you have a you have a thing coming up. You have comedy church that you're running. What's going on? Oh, it is true. Um, well, it turns out you don't have to register with the state to start a church. Wow! So I've started a church. It's called Vicarious Traumas um, Church of Comedy. Vicarious Traumas Church of Comedy. Yes. Can people find you online? 
Um, the online presence is going to kick off April Fools. Fantastic. And it's not an April Fools, it's real. That's what they yeah. <laughs> It's really a, it's like a faith thing. Sure. <laughs> it's like whatever you believe. <laughs> so are you going to have speakers that are going to be comedians? Oh, ab I would I mean, I hope so. Um absolutely. I have a number of people that are interested in contributing to content and I want to hear people's stories because when I talk to them privately, comedy has changed a lot of people's lives yeah. for the better and yeah. it's really helped them and um you know, there's like a redemption that happens when you have a good set and that feeling of identity when people are surrounding you laughing, but in a good way. Sure. I mean, that's really rewarding. They're not laughing at me. They're laughing with me because and because I've I've somehow cultivated that impetus. It's not that like they're laughing at me because I'm stupid or did something weird. It's me asking for the attention and then them reciprocating. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important. Well, when I started comedy, I, I How many years ago did you start? <laughs> I started uh, last summer. Oh, okay. So, so I'm, not even a I'm year. on my eighth month, I think. All right. But I was doing 26 open mics a month and traveling three to four towns a week. Wow, okay. So whereas, um, uh, and I actually started in Reno like oh seven years, seven or eight years ago. Wow. But just a couple, a couple times. Did you know John Gallagher from back there in the day? Sounds very familiar. John Gallagher lives here now. No way. Yeah, but he came from, he came from Reno. He's a great comic. He uh, used to run the Tuesday night at OMG. I don't think he does anymore, but he's around Mutiny Radio quite a bit. He's a great comic. He's really, really funny. And he's from, uh, Reno. he's from Reno. Yeah. Years and years ago. So you might've known him from that scene. Well, I'm sure I've seen him. So a lot has changed. There is when I when when I was doing comedy, it was a place called the Waterfall, mm. and now it's called the Library, oh. um, which is just a funny name for a bar. Yeah, I go to the library. I like the when they call a bar the office, so that <laughs> um, so that men or anybody can say, "Oh, I'm late at the I'm staying late at the office," and it's so true. And it it's so true, and it sounds yeah. good. Staying late at the office. So I. I had started a long time ago, however, um, I went through um, a domestic violence situation. Mm. I was actually a um, criminal justice major, and before I had entered into this relationship, so shortly after my seven years of being single, I had just met the wrong one, and I was completely naive. Uh. So um, After seven years of celibacy, you found this person you threw yourself into a marriage <laughs> well he was losing his spot and I said well I have a four bedroom two bath come stay with me oh. and then when it wasn't working out I was like you know what we can still date but this isn't really working out and that's when kind of things took a turn for the horrific oh and I will no. say horrific yeah so um I know but the great thing is, and is you that were still I survived you were still providing him a place to live Oh, no, I just left my apartment, like, surrendered the apartment, left what? my apartment, drove to California. Wow. Yeah. It was very serious. Wow. Yeah. So, I had broken bones over it. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. That's, and so you just said, I'm out of here. Um, yeah. Uh, but it was so much harder did you, than did that. Did your parents charge it? Yes. Good. But here's the thing. Oof. It is. It was so much harder than I thought to leave, and part of that was because what people can't really, well, a lot of people don't understand that when people commit 
um, violence against you, especially repeatedly and viciously, um, that the victim's brain re rewires to a primal state mm. and where it's fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, which are the survival mechanisms. And so um, your mind is working against you. It's, it was very, um, what is that called? Um, Munchausen's Stock Stockholm Stockholm syndrome. syndrome. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Munch uh, Munchausen by proxy is when you poison the other person because you are you oh like yeah. to take care of them. Yeah, that's different. But um, so you know, I've and and there's definite truth and uh, wisdom in like the cycle of violence and everything, and you have to check your own codependency and your ideas on relationships and things like that. But truly, this guy was like a suspected murderer. Like this wow. guy was next level. So charming, but charming. But so you you jumped ship. Oh Good. yeah, and it was a, the best decision I'd ever made. But um, you know, usually when I jump ship for anything, it's like a great decision. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was completely unplanned, and um, I went through. I had to like kind of put my brain back together, and sure. it definitely took some time. The verdict's still out if it happened, but I, I'm very pleased with the results. Yeah, so that makes sense, especially extricating yourself from a relationship and then trying to figure out am I myself without this relationship what is it there's an intimacy that occurs during violence mm. you know and abuse and and it's funny like y you learn things like childhood trauma actually manifests itself in your adult relationships yeah. things like that but it also um, it's it was just really it took a lot of hard work and I'm just really thankful that I've always been really self-analytical. So it really helped helped with my recovery. Yeah. So I'm not into douchebags, nothing like that. Oh, I like love guys who've been to jail. I have like a total fetish for guys who've been to jail. It's weird. All right. Yeah, <laughs> I know. All right. I like bad boys. Oh, I know. Hooligans. I know. On occasion. Yeah. On occasion, I might dabble. Yeah. But, um, yeah, very consciously aware. Yeah, I'm terrible. The, the people I'm attracted to are like drug addicts, alcoholics, people who have been to jail, people with like severe baggage. Well, like I like that because it somehow gives me the opportunity to be the savior perhaps right. and to like you know, help them somehow it become better. I also like younger guys because then I feel like I feel like if guys are older than me that they're going to try to teach me something and I'm like nah. And I also don't like I also don't like the dynamic of equality. I like to be the person in charge. I really, <laughs> I was raised by my grandparents, and so I usually take like a submissive role. Mm -hmm. But like, I really enjoy, you know, equality. I'm totally for it. And um, in fact, when <sighs> I don't know if I should tell this story, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> so um, when I came out of that relationship, it was so bad that I was, in f I had a horrible job. And I was enforcing contracts from the 90s for a security company. Mm. And I'd call people up and like, they remember that contract that you signed a decade or so ago? Well, guess what? Um, it auto-renewed and you owe us five grand. I'm so sorry. <laughs> wow, yeah. And so one day, I got on the phone with someone and 
And I'm a really great person breaking bad news to good people all day. <laughs> um, but one person got on the phone and said, do this and that. He was using. Oh, you can swear. Oh, okay. You fucking bitch. Like, I'm going to fucking come to your office and this and that. And you work for a piece of shit company. And he was just raging. Yeah. And I looked around. And this was two weeks after I got out of that relationship. I looked around. And I was like, holy shit. I'm hot as fuck right now. Like, should I get this guy's number? Wow. And then I was. Wow, you were positively triggered by a person who was verbally abusing you. Yes. Wow. Yeah. What a perspective. That's amazing that you were able in that moment to take a step back and take a step forward and analyze that situation. I wouldn't I wouldn't have the wherewithal to do that. I'd be like, (laughs) you'd be like, let's 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 yeah, what's your number, buddy? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. No, but I was like, you know what? This is not my kink. This is not. This is not me. And I think the next week or two, I went to, um, I was looking at um, the Berkeley University paper because I was like, clear, you know what? I, I lived in Berkeley when I was 18 for about a year. And I was like, you know what? I'm sure they're going to offer some really unique insights in the um, BDSM, those kinds of things, right? Sure. Because I'm trying to figure out what the fuck just happened. Right. right? <laughs> and no, I didn't call him. <laughs> no, good. Good for um, you. But... But you felt that seed, and that yeah. triggered something in you to say, wow, that is hot. No. Right. <laughs> well, no, that turned me on in some way. And yeah. then to think, and like, that's well, not okay. why does that? Why? Why? And, yeah. and there's an empowerment with BDSM, and, and there's things that are going on. And I can't, I'm not in a place of judgment at all. Um, it's, it's really about consent. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, and safe words. Right. And so... I think that actually BDSM is the one of the safest ways that you can have sex because everything is, if you're doing it right, everything is laid out ahead of time. You know exactly what's going to happen. There are no surprises. And if there is a surprise, you have your safe word. And hmm. you just say it, and the person respects you, and it's that easy. I feel like because it's so consent-based, and they're hardcore on consent, that it feels, it can feel even safer. Right. And I, I, I think there's... I mean, that's such an important topic to talk about, too, is consent. You know, I definitely like to make jokes about it to try to open up discourse. Well, I've learned a lot about consent because I didn't realize that um, I've had potentially incestually photojuristic behaviors, just made that word up. (laughs) But I I didn't realize for years because I because in the 90s when like at the beginning of the height of my sexuality, I'm, I'm quite older than you, but. When I was in college in the early 90s and even in the late 80s in high school, uh, the, the way women were treated was so <laughs> – going to a hip-hop club in the 90s was basically sexual abuse. Like you were going to – Right. People were going to come up behind you and they were going to stick their hard dick up against you and they weren't going to make eye contact and they weren't going to ask you if it was okay to dance with you. They were just going to start rubbing up on you. All night. And y- all night. And you know Every night. But, but that was the thing is that in going – to the hip-hop club in L.A. and Koreatown in the 90s, you knew that that's what you were signing up for. It was almost like consent before consent. Like, everybody knew that in going to this place that these kinds of things are the things that are going to happen. You're not asking to get raped in the bathroom, but people are definitely going to come up and do some things that you didn't give the permission for. The climate was different. The climate was different. And so when I decided to sort of rail against that in the late 90s and early 1000s, and even into the late... I mean, I've been in, I've touched people, I've touched people inappropriately without their consent. I used to play a game called grab ass 
with <laughs> people at bars where I would grab a guy's ass and I'd point at my friend and be like, hey, it wasn't me, it was her. And then she'd do the same thing and be like, look at her over there, it's not me. And now I look back and I'm like, I was just sexually assaulting men in bars. <laughs> but right. I didn't know that at the time. Right. <laughs> Yeah, it's because true. Of the, because of the climate that I grew up in, I was like, well, feminism now, we can do this. This has been happening to me for years, and now with feminism, it's my turn to start doing it back. And now I'm like, oh, that was n- probably not, that was a little predatory. Yeah. And, now I've ha- yeah. and now I've learned to ask for consent from people before. Because I'm a, I'm a, I can be a real touchy-feely, flirty person. And I, I definitely I am. Like, I'm a hugger, you know, and I just, I forget, I forget myself. But, you know, I don't really cater, I, I don't really cater who I am to other people, but when it comes to touching their bodies, it's worth a thought, right? It's worth a thought. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but it, it definitely made me investigate BDSM. I had never really uh, explored that, actually, still to this day. So, um, but I've read about it and talked to people about it, those kinds of things. Yeah. I've had friends that are, you know, in it. Um and for me, it was really about how do I not have this kink? How do I not get turned on when I meet someone that's probably dangerous and violent? You know what right. I mean? Because right. when you're in an abusive relationship, a lot of women don't understand these psychological concepts. So they'll be de- um, dolphining in and out of relationships um, and experiencing the same thing. Sure. And I didn't want to do that. So right. I had to take a break. Uh, a couple years off and it worked I'm not yeah. into that shit yeah the, the dynamic that I fight is that I um, I try to take care of people and mother them and then I get sort of angry if my care and attention isn't reciprocated but when I go into these things I kind of know that I'm because I want to be the person in charge so it's like I'm the caretaker I'm the provider I'm the giver and then I get mad when that isn't mirrored, except that I'm, like, perpetuating these relationships where I'm the one that's, like, in this mothering role. Even right. though, cause I, probably because I've never been a kid. But I feel like as far as identity, identity is so much more than just a relationship. Mm-hmm. I've experienced so much more freedom and have learned, you know, so much about my capabilities uh, out outside of relationships. So, yeah. I mean, that... I mean, do you have a safe word? What's your safe word? I don't. Mine's cinnamon. Is it really? Yeah, because it's a weird thing to say, and it's not anything that would ever be in the bedroom. Should everyone have a safe word? You know, I think it's a good idea if you're in a sexual relationship with someone, absolutely. Yeah. Just because, I mean, I always tell people my safe word, just in case, because if something hurts or I don't like it, I'm going to say cinnamon <laughs> just because <laughs> because no or yes doesn't it sometimes it c- in the context it doesn't have as much meaning as this word that you decide at the beginning this is the word and if anything goes awry stop right well I think it's good just for I mean I don't know I usually just say something if it's that if it's like that you know um I'll just be like, hey, wrong hole, fool, something. Right, 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 uh, right. <laughs> like, cinnamon, cinnamon. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, safe words are fun. Yeah. Because, you know, they do. But I really, you know, um, a friend and, and I were talking about what it meant, like, to have kind of that attraction, unhealthy attraction, and what it 
took for me to kind of get out of it, which I still like bad guys. Like, sure, like I do, you know, but I, I can't give it any serious thought or time. But what I will say is um, I feel like there's definitely something psychologically important going on during this type of kink that should be evaluated by the individuals participating in it. Mm. Um, because I think getting to know yourself and your history and where you're going is important. You yeah. know? I'm just so vanilla. I'm like, I want to <laughs> try something new. <laughs> because I, I, I am in my, it's, it's hard. Getting old sucks. How, how old are you? I'm 42. Oh, wow. I, I thought you were a lot younger than me. So kind. Thank you so much. You have no wrinkles. That's what they say, but I trust, I tr- I trust they're there. <laughs> no. Well, also, I'm, I'm having macular degeneration, so I can't see a goddamn thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that explains so much. Yeah, I, I'm beer goggling <laughs> myself all the time, and I like it. I'm like, oh, is that what I look like? Sure. I can't, I can't even pluck my eyebrows anymore because I have to wear, like, my, my bifocal, my reading glasses. Oh, yeah. And so I've got to, like, pull them up and pull them down and try to get hairs off my face. I just can't even. Magnifying mirror. That's what you need. Magnifying mirror. Yep. That way it'll all work out. I've got this. You got this. I'm an old crone now. You're I looking great. I hate right. the word crone. I hate it. But it's that's the term they give us when you go through menopause and you don't have any worth in our society anymore. Oh, that's absolute bullshit. I know. But still. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard to get old. And with all the sex stuff, you'd think it would get easier as you get older. And it seems to get harder. And I'm just so much more self-conscious. I feel like uh, I just can't. I don't know. I don't. I used to not. I haven't shaved for years and years and years, and I just kind of started again. And I'm like, God, do I, am I really doing this? Like, what am I doing? You're having fun with your body hair. Yeah, it's not fun. I, I wish I, I wish that we could all just. Sometimes I'll just protest shaving my legs and stuff, and that's always when I meet someone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I haven't shaved for you. Here you go. Yeah. Check here. it out. Look, I'm not. I'm not into like quaffing my body hair and they're into it like uh if you find the right person hell yeah 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 it'll be okay yeah i mean everything's gonna be okay no i'm seriously thinking about doing doing a good long bout of celibacy to just sort of like clean out the cobwebs and figure out <laughs> like what i'm like but then i worry because i'm like i'm getting so old soon no one's gonna want to have sex with me because i'm so old that's not true well the guys i want to have sex with aren't gonna want to have sex with me oh. because i'm too old well, things change. Things change. You, d- change. you don't know what'll be in style. That's true. You know what I mean? Milfs seem to be a thing, although I'm not on that one, but I guess I could play one on TV. Do That's the thing I wonder about all this stepmom porn. Are they real stepmoms, or are they just really good actors? I don't know, but it really does. I know you're laughing, but I'm like, you know, that really doesn't, that really does circle back around to abuse and how it plays into sex. Does it? I Step think so. Stepmom stuff? Oh, I think so. I don't know. I mean... In part, I just wonder. I, I'm not a hundred percent, but what I will say is, um, I wonder if there are isn't a niche that is just like ah, uh, brother sister stuff or incest. Oh, stuff. that exi- That's like that's all over the place right now. Right. It's, I, I mean, I don't watch porn. I just hear about it from all the jokes of all the guys who watch copious porn. I I just I've never maybe from my religious upbringing it's something that I was never really exposed to and then when I was married my husband was black and he had a small penis and he didn't want me to know and he was like the first guy I had sex with so 
it didn't <laughs> know, and so I wasn't a, we didn't watch porn or have dildos because I found out later when I left them that his thick black dick was not so big. But oh, I wow. didn't know. I just everyone would always say like, "Oh, he's black. He's got a huge." Dick. I was like, "Yeah, it's huge," but I didn't Aww. know because That's I just so didn't wonderful. experience anything else. He's he great. I bet you he still holds a candle for you for that. Yeah, probably. You know what I mean? I was That's like, it's huge. It's great. Also, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very, I have very shallow vagina, so it was, it worked out. Yeah. Don't know why I just divulged that on air. Uh, but. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's um, micropenis. Okay. It wasn't I'm a micropenis. It just was, I just, <laughs> when, I, when I moved to San Francisco and I slept, I slept with my first white guy, I was like, oh, my God, your dick's enormous. And he's like, six inches is pretty standard, really. And I was like, oh, oh. Yeah. But it's just because I never watched porn. But a I think that world. the people that watch, I think that all the kids that have been watching porn since they were 12 because of their iPhones. I do think that that perpetuates violence and sex. And I, I because when you watch enough, like, it's like, and then I hear guys go, yeah, I beat up that pussy last night. It's like, <laughs> can you, do you have to say it like that? Like, can you say, like, I hang out with a lot of guy comedians. You're like, I victimized that pussy yeah, last I've night. You know? That's fun. See, now you should do a joke about that. <laughs> I victimized that pussy last night. Right. I, I got her to, yeah, I mean, but I think that that's perpetuated through through these visual images that people don't necessarily have context for, or they don't necessarily see it as fantasy, and they see it as you do what feels good or whatever, and then you move on. Right, and that's okay. I don't. I definitely don't like shaming when I just think there's a psychology to it, and life is a series of abuses and traumas, as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, for me, they're all kind of related, uh, as far as like abuse how it plays out in the future you know childhood abuse to adult yeah. relationship abuse sure. to you know um the rough sex thing was never anything that i had um partaken in but um coming out of because the the love making was was not non-violent sure so coming out of this really terrible physically violent relationship um it was really weird for me to understand that a lot of women like to be choked. Oh. So my mind was just kind of blown day in and day out as I was sure. just like, sure. why? I don't get it. Is it 50 shades of gray? What's happening? And because I was in a bubble. Right. And so uh, in a really isolated relationship. So um, those are things. And since then, I've had a really healthy year-long relationship. I'm not in a relationship now, but... You know, I still talk to my ex and have a good rapport with that person. And yeah. There was no incidences, you know. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, I had to take a couple years off and definitely do self, self-care or whatever they call it. Uh, yeah, the choking thing. Um, I used to like to be spanked a little bit, but it was only because <laughs> at that time when I left my husband in my early 30s, I was 32 when I left my husband, and I moved to San Francisco, and I – became the whore of Sodom and Gomorrah. I was drinking, it was before comedy. I was a poet. So I was using alcohol a lot to be creative because I was sort of taught that, you know, Bukowski was a super drunk and I loved his poetry. And I was like, oh, and the honesty that comes out of that. And and so I was doing this sort of poet thing where like, I'm a drunk and that's what I do. And I'm (laughs) unapologetic about it. And I like fuck guys in bar bar bathrooms. And I like... Yep. And, and I was drunk all the time, so I don't know how much of when I was having sex with these guys, I don't know how much was me 
asking them to be violent or if them perpetuating violence with me and me not caring because I was so drunk and I wanted whatever they were providing, even if I didn't necessarily remember it later. Like, it was, I mean, I had nights where I'd wake up and be like, and I'd sort of like do some kegels and be like, did we have sex last night? Did we? Like that kind of stuff because I didn't really remember. But I think that in the moment, I was into whatever they were into, and they seemed to be into spanking and choking. So then it kind of became like, oh, out of my marriage where it was just me and him for 13, well, we were together for five and then married for seven. So for 13 years, this was the person I had sex with, and this is what it was like. And then all of a sudden, I'm out in this world, and I was like, what? It's like this? And so I didn't really have, and because I hadn't watched any porn, and I hadn't didn't really have a lot of sexual experience, like, it was also new to me that I just sort of thought, well, this is the way it is. But it was more like, this is San Francisco sex, drunk <laughs> sex in 2008. You know, like right. where this is what the, the sort of the community is doing, is spanking and choking. So it was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm into this. Right. And now I realize, like, I'm not into that at all. Like, not even a little. Like, I don't like to be spanked. I don't like it. I don't get anything out of it. I don't know why I submitted to it for so long. I don't. I had a guy once. I um, I said something to him, and then he he smacked me in the back of the head. And why? I yeah, because I guess we were doing it doggy style, and <laughs> he smacked me in the back of the head really hard, and it kind of like rung my bell a little bit. <laughs> and I like disengaged. And I'm like, get the fuck out of my house. And he's like, I thought that's what you wanted. I'm like, no, I never want you to hit me in the head. Right. Like, who does that? I was so pissed. I was like, get the fuck out. I don't, I don't and know. And he got all mad at me. He's like, why did you, do, do, do. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, it's, it gets, it's, it gets interesting out there. And I'm all for interesting, you know? You got to find out where, you know, everyone's in their own processes, mm. discovering what they're into. I know that what I'm into and what I'm not. So I'm. I'm happy just kind of looking I'm like who did start that the like who started the choking thing was it like Nicki Minaj well I don't you know <laughs> I, I kind I don't of know. understand it from the from the auspices of uh, autoerotic association and that if you decrease your airflow you can come harder so oh, that is true yeah so if there's a choking thing it's should be like right before you're gonna come so that it's more intense but you know, I'd rather just do a whip it. Like if I wanna, if I wanna decrease my airflow, there's a lot of ways I can do that without feeling victimized. Unless, unless it's totally consent based, and you start it out and be like, all right. I mean, bottom line, if it's consent based, it's consent based, right? That's right. what I read in, in the um, university paper in Berkeley, and that's why I was like, oh, oh. And I had to wrap my mind around that for quite some time. Right. There's guys that like women to put on high heels and step on their nutsack. My friend has done that, yes. And that I was they're shocked. into it. She is so, she's so, <laughs> she's such a lovely human being. And I'm like, oh, really? Like, I'm shocked that you stepped on men's testicles. Yeah. And she's like, that's what they wanted. That's what they wanted. <laughs> there was, um, I saw, there was a guy, he did a documentary, and he was really sick. But he was, he was like sick guy, but he was also into this. SM role play kind of thing. And he actually took a nail and pounded it through his scrotum. Oh. Yeah, on the fucking, on the do documentary. And I was like, whoa. 
but I, I mean, people derive sexual pleasure from all kinds of things. And yeah. it's not, I don't want to be judgmental. And be We're just animals. We're just animals. Trying to get through this life together. Yeah. Without getting coronavirus. And without getting our balls permanently Right. Damage, though. Sure. I mean, <laughs> damage my ovaries. Get, get these things <laughs> out of here. Let this menopause <laughs> end. Um, what, tell us more about the, the, the new comedy church. What's, where's, the, where, where's your location? Um, so I'm still ironing out the – oh, this is, this is what I should explain. You don't have to register with the state to start a church, so the church already started, but I am registering it as a 501B. And during that process, they might say, because there's 20 different kinds of um, nonprofit business structures out there, and at one point they might say, we just can't recognize you as a church um, because it has to be faith-based. And um, Comedy is based on faith. I, th- I think so. Super um, faith-based. I mean, I think for some comedians, like, the, the mic is like service, you sure, know? absolutely. Like, it's like... It's uh, like therapy. It's like cleansing. It's like service. Yeah. It's like yeah. communication. It's cleansing for other people. It's there's all kinds of there's catharsis for the crowd if they somehow relate to you. I mean, right. So, you know, um, I'm gonna see if that flies. If it does fly, I guess the benefit is it's cheaper than an LLC. It can have affiliate nonprofits. It is more than just like the tax credit and exemptions i really want to be able to collaborate and help other comics that i love like um not just that i love because i want a lot of people like i'm pretty free love and check like i just am uh, what comedy and all these different communities that i've visited have done for me super healing you know um just because i've found other people that were depressed as hell or right right or um we saw humor and funny things that were tragic and so um one of the premises even though it's business like a business i'm running and and those types of things um what kind of prompted it to actually go into application mode was i had secured a venue in merced for like uh, 80 to 130 people i'm gonna do a suicide prevention fundraiser in september great Merced, are you from Merced? No. Okay, I didn't think so. No, but um, like that's uh, far away. That's right by Modesto. No, a friend. I had actually wanted to do it at like last year, mm. um, like when I was four months in, because my dad had committed suicide. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, it's okay. I think he was martyred, but by himself. <laughs> or yeah, no, by, by someone himself. Else. No, I don't yeah. know. Okay. <laughs> but all jokes aside, uh, all jokes aside, I wanted to do something meaningful to me. You know. Yeah. Um, for that cause and for other people. And I just think that, um, you know, when I've met other comics and been able to vibe out with people, um, you know, a lot of people are depressed. I mean, think about how many people. Oh, I'm depressed. Yeah. I oh, yeah. This is what depression looks like for me. I'm always smiling. Yeah, it's terrible. This is, yeah, exactly. This is <laughs> well, but no one knows what you are. No one knows I'm what like, the inside eh, looks no, like, um, you know. Always smiling. No, I actually fare really well. I mean, it is shocking. The only thing is the the holidays were hard for me, mm-hmm. so I did party a lot. Um, but my first, like, five months in comedy were really sober-ish, like the occasional Coke, whatever. I'm all ish. Um, and so to be able to overcome, like, feeling, like, panic attacks and mm. social anxiety and really do it by kind of like this 
I don't know. There's some kind of reverse um, therapy that happens. Yeah, absolutely. You confront your fears. And then also PTSD, you have problems with perspective and like with emotional flashbacks and things. Sure. And I don't get those as often. Like, I mean, well, I never had them very often, but there were certain things that were huge. And so. Very triggering. You had lots of triggering events and now you've, and it hasn't been that long and you've already sort of worked through a lot of them. Oh, well, it's been, it's been a couple years. Oh, it's that bad. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, I've only done comedy for eight months. Right. Well, I was thinking about the dad stuff. Yeah, it wasn't. That's a whole other trauma. Yeah, but right. Right? <laughs> so many traumas. So many traumas. traumas will I address tonight on stage? But th- that's the thing. I mean, uh, a lot of my therapists had vicarious trauma, and I would sure. joke around about it before I did comedy because that's actually a term that a lot of psychologists and therapists have and are, are used because, you know, they empathize with what they're hearing, and they are vicariously traumatized. Right. You know? One of my buddies, this is a total non sequitur, but one of my buddies years ago, he – was a psychologist uh, for the Air Force, and he treated uh, pilots, helicopter pilots that were coming back from Iraq. And they were saying, and he got PTSD from hearing their stories, because they were telling stories about going down a city street and just mowing down people, just shooting people and seeing them explode in front of them. And he was hearing those stories from those helicopter pilots, and then he got PTSD right. from just listening. So it's like if you can get PTSD once removed just from hearing those stories over and over and over, like it just imagine how hard it is for the people who actually – Breakfast elevates the hearts for the action and fervor of feeding a desire for a twistry of taste by tongue through the thoughtful traveling of our gut feel, weighed in by sequences of tally smacked up jocular pokery to match the eyes to the stomach, by surroundings of those in good company. It's true, that a hearty breakfast is indeed just, and that is the distraction needed for the exchange of phalange muckery on the keys to let you in on the notes while simultaneously blocking out the 3D channels of talk radio, which, while surely needed at all times, these days, is a luxury to ignore for some simple damages, like this breadth of a poet, I am bit on wicked up cherries and ferverments of elemental espresso. It was and is this particular morning when Q planned to re-up his game of living in this the greatest trials of living cities, a San Francisco of a daily choosing, call it a town, or the villain by villages, but not ought to bother the bots which operate the interior spacings of the underutilized internet. Ring. It was a kind of morning where the ringing started right away and the answering came much later, to the tune of the late openers of the offices meant to discuss options on which and the oaths and the weighing of means in a kind and gentle way. Oh to be social. Ducks indeed were in alignment, as comms sat idle but primed and with that knowledge, Q proceeded to lean a bit into the day by compartment department, imparted and stored like a straggle of shoes which perhaps needed a bit more sockery and the like. Waiting is a game played by those who wish to align their day through means and wills towards the beginning of any of those interactions which bear fruit, and so, the practice today is the disentangled bits of loop tape which have not yet been written, but were and are to be practiced anew for benefits of repetitious spine on repeating. 
digits by and five digits of the fidgety kindness which lands us into our next setting. Sip. Q sipped a bit into the air and noticed his adjustment. Sirens, not in a priming state, but observed nonetheless, and coupled with the semi-complimentary ticky and tackiness of the tic-tac buildings going up in a down ground around the U-bend for answers from six hours ago. Left, center, right, and all was in general order to prod into yesterday with a hook to just gently pull a string of yarn over a furry spot of brain and hope the fluff clears. Oh no! That's a horrible idea said that bit of brain, and snapped the yarn back into a ball and rolled it across the floor for the non-existent cat to paddle it for a bit. Oh it did enjoy that, perfect globe of a yarn not ever seen nor willed to again, and it clawed gently and bit it with its white teeth, from white fur, as a kitten, for how else would a non-existent cat be not seen? Brief inventory on hearts of proceeding, as gently as the kitten. We're at carpet graded A levels with a preponderance of well, a necessity of wellness of 85 percentage points towards the knot, and sewing and farthings few but far from a singularity which is on the top shelving of deliciousness to be divided by a summarization of a chance for a bit of gamey woo shyness which is where expectation provides our Frenston free energy. How can one return not? when it's keyed up just right on a board of punchiness, to align our famed character Q upper left and as strong as the oxen of Moranuk jest, we sift gently for the flour which was meant for a girl but instead baked into a tossed up pizza with extra everything for the numbness of a friend yet to be discovered. Q ring Miranda, straight up the telephone pole, or from molasses of rule 20, which affected his voice slightly as warbly copper hit its trough through to the water table, and chair balanced for perhaps a later afternoon of the odd kindred to visit and jinker in a meditative relativistic zeroing out of ram plus failed bits which, while unrecoverable, were kind enough to leave their artifacts of X or and not. A further look at the situation brings the body forwards and forwards yet the clock is our demonic reminder to set itself back four paces, which is to say make it so, as in pacemaker. The artificial electrics. Hello Q. Miranda finally picked up the phone after 23 rings. She had also been enjoying the warble, at a 90 volt addition from her own table, and a glass of water which was only meant for Jurassic Park moments. You on the letter, Q? She punched her query into the teletext on the lower thirds of her copper eyeball. The moat you send was a little runny, have you been eating eggs again, or is that his style? She grinned. Style, yes, as a comb filter at 60 may take the buzzing out, or it may level a playing field of bass which was meant to sign on to a techno dewdrop, although I hear they're taking theirs to 88 as per the triad and a soldering iron with flux core resin. I had an idea for a hat. Oh at that gravity and time came up again, for the dream and more where planets chattered for the benefit of their own clocking orbits in streams not only seen but swam for and about and in a not so millionth of a sub-second to excite the next electron with those bits of signal carried about their mating writ and written for a gentle honor of self to as to be known in the patterns which produce re non-repeat, again and noggin. Yes, the air is fair and still here as well. It looks as if the discussion has suspensed the gaseous shifteries and we appear here and there, though fractal on a corner shop side stop, slightly unknown by signal, and if only, 
Well we could do with a bit of clearance. Was I the first person you called? Here, let me punch in a gesture just and slight, and... There's the digit. She flashed the hook, punched in nine, left it, and flashed back. Okay we have nine on a wire. Which means that bit is open from there to there, she motioned the point between the CO's switch towards its next grounded electrics. It must be getting antsy. Why don't you punch up the rest? She flashed them together. Q clackered in with a rolling set of tones towards the hillside, where Flix often slid around the faux wood flooring and flipped through news on her Kindle, the paper wire reporting type which was intended as fact. Oh hello you two. It's time is it? Come on up at your leisure, the couch is always a conservation, and the fridge is working perfectly, for its intended purpose of heat exchange for the small collection of Genevaites you've sent me. What that them? They drew all over the frosting. I think I may have gotten them a bit drunk, you wouldn't believe the poetry. I hope you're not cross, Q. Well, that explains this left foot, it seems to want to recite Grimm's fairy tales backwards without a cover, in hardback, but I'm staving it off for a smaller pocketbook and perhaps a lesson in traversing a toroid of a lifesaver candy, and we met back to paper, which is tougher than a soul whose sole purpose is to line a shoe in towards our destiny of evasions. Or speak and spell would be a very boring game. But. Miranda butted in, but we'll see the couch. And it will see us, she joked. It will take 35 minutes of travel, but lightly as it were, we'll precede the notebooks and you can just toss them around to look casual and all and well in the ness of necessity, which is to say, we have some extra scrabble for our city today. Peachy, Flex drolled in her usual tonal sparked voice, and the tryst trust will carry on until the moon flips folds, or otherwise indicates a title aloha in a manner liking to said doors towards the front and the rear of our, or, offices. It's lit. You? Eh? Said Q. Sure, Miranda piped down. Did you know you and Toy are very similar in language? I wonder if that how kids feel about themselves when they start using smartphones. Oh behave. Was the pop rock culture clubby bit meant to cue the music, and it did, Miranda rose THS receiver up a few notches on her panel and plugged a quarter eighth into the vinyl cage, as she called it, flipped on a lighted LED single pull dual throw and scratched behind her ear as she hoped the scratchy record would find the diamond head, and, it did. D.E. light. Leaving this on the level. Punching out. All. They all punched on hold and hung their receivers in place. See you on the inside they all grinned and turned and began to package up their days for a bit more of difference, from within and about haptics. Dot. And yet again, Radio 11 brings you our eggs and counters of parts, partings. Partying weighing in light and means for travel from the lab's remote and unbearing FCC from a van named Charlie of the Angular Angel kind of ruckus which is meant to keep a school of fish from overflowing a tank, which has had a special damn engineering for it to do the crossover radio announcements, this is Aqua Q in a singularity of a Friday in toast motion, brown and hoo with a BBC but for the kitset drum party CH panned left to right and jiggle just a bit like a potted plant piece plus love from lovely San Francisco, sunshine at LC3W.
it's uh, it's Tuesday at six o'clock. It's uh, it's um, uh, it's so many things uh, that uh, are too numerous to mention. Welcome. Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? I've been hearing his name all over the land. Hey, this week on Bug Out Square, I'm, uh, I'm, I, I'm, uh, I'm not repenting. What's that word? <laughs> but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm making good for, uh, for technical last week. So if you were trying to listen to that show, it was, uh, I know, it was pretty aggravating. Um, God love Pam. She was there trying to, trying to do it. But, you know, that's the thing at, uh, at, at, at Mutiny Radio. You know, we're working on a shoestring. So sometimes the, uh, you know, you have to get a little more chewing gum in there and some bailing wire and uh, make it work again. And I think we're, we're in a pretty good spot right now as far as uh, the tech goes. But we could always use more dough, of course. Um, that maybe we could buy some, <laughs> buy some, something that would work, you know, on a regular basis. But um, I, I digress. Thanks for doing what you got to do to do. It's um oh uh, uh, it's gonna be a lot of contributors tonight. I got I, I want to get through. I got a chunk of them, and then last week's I wanted to give them another chance. So, so uh, got that to look forward to. Killed him in the river, some strange man was that, a vigilante man. Shotgun in his hand, would he shoot his brother, his brother and, and sister, sister down? I rambled around from town to town. I rambled around from town to town. And they herded us around like a wild herd of cattle. Was that the vigilante men? Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? I've heard his name all over the land.
Dugout Square. It's um, yeah, it's an Everly Tuesday, but uh, let's pretend. Yeah, uh, smoke and mirrors. Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen? Whereas, I mean, the things that I think. It's Bug Out Square. It's um, yeah, it's an Everly Tuesday, but uh, let's pretend. Yeah. Uh, smoke and mirrors. Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? I've been hearing his name all over the land. Hey, this week on Bug House Square, uh, I got, um, I don't know. I got kind of different ones. So I, I went down into the cellar. <laughs> I've been moving records around. These records I haven't got to in a while. So this is, um, is going to be a little bit of an experiment. Okay. And I got a lot of contributors, so uh, uh, stick around for that. And uh, what else? I don't know. That's about it. Yep, that's about it. But it's going to be good. Don't don't be um, <coughs> dissuaded by my um, lack of enthusiasm or uh, you know that, because I, I am enthused. I just I'm, I'm really in a real uh, mellow mood right now. So. Um, Thanks for doing what you got to do to do. This is Bug House Square. It's Mutiny Radio. Man, come along and we give him a little raise. Was that a vigilante man? Preacher Casey was just a working man. And he said, unite all you working men. Killed him in the river. Some strange man was that, a vigilante man. Shotgun in his hand, would he shoot his brother, his brother and sister down? I rambled around from town to town. I rambled around from town to town. And they herded us around like a wild herd of cattle. Was that the vigilante men? Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? I've heard his name all over the land. And 
in the death as the last few corpses lay rotting on the slimy thoroughfare. The shutters lifted an inch in Temperance Building high on Vultures Hill, and red mutant eyes gazed down on Hunger City. No more big wings. Fleas the size of rats sucked on rats the size of cats, and 10,000 peploids split into small tribes, covered in the highest of the sterile skyscrapers like packs of dogs assaulting the grass fronts of Lovely Avenue, ripping and re-wrapping mink and shiny silver fox. Now Leghorns, family badge of sapphire and cracked emerald, in the day now, the gear of the diamond dogs.
to my
in town came to and chain the tool master. A fool fast in the jaws of cash flasher. Insane with blue magic and flames. Tool master return. A letter came from the Buckeye Creamery. It said, Mr. Master of Brainerd. What? We're gonna start up the old machinery. Why? Mr. Master of Brainerd. All his old girlfriends, like Hoppenstein, told him to kiss the twin towns goodbye. He grumbled north for a change of scenery.
after schools that do not teach. Mr. America, walk on by the minds that won't be reached. Mr. America, try to hide the emptiness that's you inside. But once you find that the way you lied and all the corny tricks you tried will not forestall the rising tide of hungry freaks, Daddy. America, walk on by your supermarket dream. Mr. America, walk on by the liquor store supreme. Mr. America, try to hide the product of your savage pride. The useful minds that it denied. The day you shrugged and stepped aside, you saw their clothes and then you cried. Those
a job, he barely had a home, and the landlord came to call. Just pack your things and go, this room is That's the reason he descended into hell, where the crybabies call out from padded cells, and the human race just turned and said farewell. On the morning he. Screaming in the street, you use a disco beat, or your audience will flee, and you'll be all alone. No more worries, no aggression. 
one for at least I own pipe by end. And I'm gonna leave you now, so you can go knee jerk, 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 knee jerk.
Check around to the sad, sad truth. The dirty Lord down. 